I wish people would uh, focus more on what their dream dog looks like and what's ideal. What have you always dreamed of having in a dog? Find those traits and and search for those and really kind of stay stick to your guns there and uh, don't let yourself be swayed too easily just because, well, this is what you see right now. Because in one week, two weeks, like those sorts of things change drastically. Welcome to the Call the Vet Show, the podcast that helps pet parents understand and optimize the health of their furry family so they can live the full and happy life you want for them. And here's your host, veterinarian Dr. Alex Avery. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Call the Vet Show. I'm really delighted to be spending time with you again. And this week we're talking all about rescue pets and how you can go about bringing one of these animals who needs a home into your lives. And that might seem like a strange concept to you. You know, surely you just go to the shelter and you pick up, you know, whichever dog takes your fancy. Well, it's actually not that easy. There's a few things that you need to really be focused on to make sure that not only you choose the right dog in the first place, but also that the shelter, the rescue centre, whatever organisation you're hoping to get a dog from actually accepts you as a new adopter. And this week I'm talking to Bethany Muir, who's a registered veterinary technician, but she really is focusing entirely on how to get these rescue pets into new homes and then just as importantly make sure that they don't return to the shelter and because of this a lot of what we talk about actually relates to anyone who's thinking of bringing a new dog or cat into their household to become part of their family it's so important that the right decision is made at the very earliest time because ultimately you're about to start a relationship that's going to last 10, even 20 years. So it's not one you want to rush into. And Bethany and I talk about a lot of the things that every dog or cat owner should consider. Here's this episode's expert interview. Bethany, it's a pleasure to be speaking to you today about a really important topic and one that we hear a lot about, which is pet adoption. We all know that there's a big problem with dogs in shelters. Uh, but before we get into, I guess, the the nitty gritty of that, I'd love to know what brought you to this field in the first place, because it's a fairly kind of specific niche that you found <laughs> yourself in. Yes, uh, it's nice to be speaking with you. Um, I am a registered veterinary technician, so I have been working with dogs and cats for you know over nine years now in the vet clinic. And so uh, during that time, I did adopt my my own pets, and you know even right out of tech school, I was I was doing that. And I just kind of found that I had this affinity for dealing with rescue pets and, uh, you know, any clients that I would talk to at work. uh, That was just something that kind of came up on a a recurring basis that, you know, I had this interest in their dogs, especially if they had rescued them and where did you get them and all that. So I think I saw that I quickly had an interest in that. And I had always had uh, rescue pets or rehomed pets growing up. So I didn't really know any other way. 
And uh, yeah, after getting my own pets that I had um, uh, some, you know, I had a dog that I adopted that was quite easygoing and that went really smoothly. And then I had a dog that I, I chose to adopt that I knew had a lot of work to be done. And that's my uh, Dalmatian. <laughs> and she's uh, really challenged me. And through <laughs> challenging me, I've learned a lot. So basically, I just knew I had a lot to share about how to integrate your pet into your home after you get them, um, you know, even dealing with multi-household or multi-pet households. And uh, I thought, you know, there's there's a place for that. And and I wished knowing what I would see at the vet clinic and, and some maybe not so well-matched pets with their owners, I thought, you know, these people could have used some help when they started out looking for a pet. And, uh, you know, maybe that's something I could do. And then, yeah, I just kind of had a few situations where I was able to help friends or family in adopting their their pet. And that led me to go, maybe there's an opportunity here to, to start a business. So then I started Pet Option Guide, which uh, I did that about three years ago now. Cool. Fantastic. There's nothing quite like um, the kind of school of hard knocks and personal experiences there to realize that that you know there there is a need for for this help out there um and exactly. yeah i guess dalmatians can be a little bit notorious for being you know a bit of a challenging breed any any anyway so um yeah i'd love to kind of just to set the scene then to think about how many dogs are up for adoption and why is it so difficult why can it be such a challenge to actually bring an adopted dog into the family because i guess a lot of people will think well you know, we hear that shelters and rescue centers are full of dogs that need loving homes. So I'm just going to go down one Saturday morning, pick the dog that looks right for me and, and walk out with them. But, you know, that's not the case, is it? Yeah. So, I mean, currently, I think following the um, the bloom we had during COVID, where so many people went and adopted dogs or, or got their, their next pet, um, I think we're seeing a bit of a, a fall from that. So I think we're seeing a lot more dogs available now. It was quite difficult during the pandemic to adopt, but now it's actually becoming a little bit easier because there's more inventory because I think people are getting back out there, starting to do more activities again, travel, and that means that they're not necessarily in the right place to adopt. So if you've been looking and you haven't been having a lot of success and maybe you you went on the back burner a bit about it, it's a great time to start again because uh, we're seeing that in, in our area that um, at least in, in Canada that we've got an influx now and we're, we're looking for more homes. So that means that it's going to be a little less difficult to get that dog application through uh, than it was. And, uh, you know, hopefully you'll be quicker through the process than you would have been during the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. So. I've certainly heard that there's a lot of people who, you know, kind of the pandemic puppy that people were in lockdown and, and wanted a companion and they got a puppy. And, and now that life is opening up again, actually their lifestyle doesn't fit with that. And so, yeah, they are there there is more animals being surrendered to shelters because because of that which is which is pretty sad when you think about it really yeah well and, and yeah exactly that there'll be some of those dogs that or some of those homes where the dogs maybe weren't as top priority or people just uh, maybe were a bit naive in when when they got their dog in terms of what 
effort they thought might have to go into training it and, uh, and how they might follow through with any behavior issues that crop up. Um, I do think that's a bit of a generational thing that's happening right now is there's a bit of misunderstanding as to um, how much effort really goes into training a puppy and that uh, things aren't instantaneous and uh, it takes a lot of hard work. And same can be said for a rescue dog. You know, some dogs have more uh, baggage than others and it really, um, but all dogs across the board take you know, take that, uh, regular consistent work, what, no matter, no matter what they are or what their, what their issues are. Yeah, absolutely. I guess, um, you know, that brings to mind the thought that people will often have the assumption that a rescue dog does have a lot of issues either behaviorally or, or medically. And that's maybe why they've been surrendered. But I think that's probably a fairly unfair, broad brush to paint them all with because there's plenty of dogs out there i would imagine that are you know completely behaviorally sound they're perfectly fit and healthy and they're all ages temperaments and breeds um as well yeah i mean i think you can probably attest to it too but like working in a vet clinic you see that um you see tons of purebred dogs and you see lots of rescue dogs and i i know that i didn't I found that there were lots of people who had puppies who certainly had had their hands full with, you know, just behavioral issues, you know, separation anxiety or, um, you know, the dog's really mouthy and like they go through those things and it's a dog thing, right? Like dogs are like humans. They are all unique. We all have weaknesses and strengths. And I, I think that you know, it's easy to just say, oh, they're a rescue dog, but no, they're just a dog. And uh, half of what makes them what they are is you, the owner. So uh, half the time when you're training uh, a dog, you're really training the owner how to take care of that dog and how to to properly manage them, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have two siblings and you'll see them maybe, you know, we'll see them as in, in their first vaccination when they're still with the you know, with mum and with their their breeder or the backyard, you know, the the person who owns that dog, and then they'll go to two separate homes, and we'll see both of those dogs, and they'll come back in, you know, as very different characters, and part of right. that will be, you know, just genetic and things, but also it's the environment that they're in, and yes. yeah, th- we we make them, and I guess I often think there's not there's no such thing as an inherently badly behaved dog or aggressive dog or naughty dog it's um yeah the training and the effort that's gone into them in those early stages so from that point of view i guess it could be fair to say maybe that if you're looking to adopt an older dog an adult dog maybe a lot of your hard work's been done because if you meet them and they're behaviorally sound then you're not having to go through all you know the toilet training the biting and all that kind of thing so it may be easier even yeah so that's one of the things i help people with is you know for the most part, I'm helping first time dog owners. And like, there is a way to, you know, kind of filter through the dogs you're seeing when you're looking to rescue a dog. And there's certain behavior traits that they're going to share in the profile that you can avoid if you're not up for that kind of work. <laughs> so, you know, you need to decide up front how far are you willing to go with training for this dog? Are you easily going to seek a trainer if necessary? Do you have any experience? Are you willing to do some research if behaviors crop up? No matter how prepared you are, things will often come up. That's just, you know, inevitable. But 
you, there are ways to assess in general because rescues are getting really good at sharing about, about dogs and what they are like prior to adoption. There are ways to filter through, see some red flags. Okay. That's going to be too much for me. You know, that dog has resource guarding, uh, you know, it's often that dogs will need uh, leash training or leash skills taught to them. That's pretty much a given if you're getting a rescue dog. And that's okay. That's an easy thing to work on for the most part, but say they have leash training skills that are needed, but also, or or leash skills that are needed. But then on top of that, they have dog reactivity on leash. Well, that's going to be a lot more work and consistency. And if you have another dog in the household, that just makes it uh, harder. And I know that from personal experience. So, um, but you know, like there are ways to, to try and filter those things out and, uh, the dog rescue world is a bit more trustworthy than it used to be. And they're much more, um, they're much more forthgiving about those sorts of things. So, uh, that's on our side in terms of adopting dogs these days. Cool. So it used to be that maybe they didn't share some of this information, but now they're, yeah, they're pretty open about, you know, the, the, the problems that a dog may have or, yeah. the, you know, the, the background, whether they're good with kids, cats, yeah, um, exactly. Know, kind of thing, yeah. And it's more up to you to decide how far you're you're willing to go. And that's one of the the biggest mistakes people make is that they will um, they will let the inventory determine what kind of dog they get. So they start looking and they want a dog instantly. And instead of just waiting for a more compatible dog to come along, they just go, well, this'll do. And like, we'll make it work. And they kind of stretch uh, their means or stretch the, what they're willing to do for this dog or what they were thinking in the first place. And it's like, that's, I wish people would uh, focus more on what their dream dog looks like and what's ideal. What have you always dreamed of having in a dog? Find those traits and and search for those and really kind of stay, stick to your guns there and uh, don't let yourself be swayed too easily just because, well, this is what you see right now. Because in one week, two weeks, like those sorts of things change drastically. And it could just be that current inventory that you're seeing. There will be, just like if you're house hunting, (laughs) the next house is always better. And and it's true with searching for dogs too. I just wish people would um, kind of persevere a little bit more. And that way they would find that they probably have even a stronger bond with their dog in the end. And that's going to be what helps you get through any tough times when you have new behaviors crop up, you're going to be more dedicated because this dog is literally fulfilling your dreams. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's, it goes back to that maybe, maybe generational and instant gratification. You were always to jumping online and it gets delivered the next day or even the same, same day sometimes, but totally. ultimately we're, <laughs> we're looking at starting a relationship that's going to last 10, 15, you know, plus years. So what's what's a few weeks or a couple of months if yeah, you're, you're looking it's not a decision to be rushed it's a very big decision you're making and something that's going to affect your life for years to come and the big benefit of rescuing is that you're plucking this dog from being off the, on the streets you know you're you're giving it a home and you get to decide what their story is going forward and that's really 
a cool thing and yeah. something that you forever get to be uh, grateful for. Yeah. So we've, I guess we've focused a lot on, I've spoken a lot of behavioral issues and, you know, maybe there's some medical issues, but they're being the minority, but I'd say probably most dogs are, you know, if they do have problems, it's fairly mild and it's more of our own lifestyle that we need to be thinking about. But what are some other things that maybe people need to be thinking about if we're just thinking about breeds and size of dogs and lifestyle? What do families need to consider if they're not dead set on a particular breed because that's what they you know, had growing up? What do people need to consider to make sure that they are choosing the right dog for them? Yeah, certainly um, looking at energy, that's a huge one. So what kind of energy do you expend on a daily basis? Are you very active family or are you couch potatoes? That's uh, a, a really easy thing to go by. And, and most uh, rescues will share whether a dog is high energy, medium energy, low energy. And a lot of them you'll see are are moderate to high Um I think there's been a bit of a, a revolution in the dog ownership world that we're coming to understand that dogs need more than we used to give them. So don't be surprised if you see a lot of moderate to high uh, energy dogs. And sometimes that's a rescue kind of putting, you know, implying that they expect this dog would like three walks a day versus two or one. And I really think a lot of that comes down to meeting the dog in the meet and greet and understanding their, their breed. So if they have, if they're a working dog, like a German shepherd or a collie um, that, or a cattle dog per se, those dogs definitely need a job. Maybe they don't need to be run, but they will need a job. So understanding that at least, but um but yeah, really, uh, the energy is a, is a great way to to decide whether you're um, you're matched or compatible with this dog based on what your lifestyle is like. There are a lot of people who will go um, and think, "Well, I want to get more active, so I I'd like to run every day. So if I get a dog that needs to be run every day, I will run every day." Well. Um, that yeah, I don't yeah. think that works. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that should be your motivation. Start with running every day, see how you like it, and then get around to getting that dog that's going to be your running companion. Um, but yeah, like I, I think the energy is a great uh, thing to decipher that. But um, otherwise, you know, grooming needs. We have we'll see more and more dogs that are um, hypoallergenic per se within the dog rescue world. Now that people are rehoming their, their purebred dogs or their uh, hybrid dogs now. And uh, now when we see more of those dogs, like they have really high grooming needs and that's an expense that you're going to have to take on. So are you financially ready to take on grooming that dog every, you know, two to three months if needed. Yeah. That's just a ne necessity for those dogs. So that's something people don't necessarily think about. So uh, are you financially prepared for what this dog's needs are? And, and that could include training, but it could also just include um, a lot of food because they're an extra large or a giant breed dog. Yeah. So. I think that's a great point, I guess, you know, and a bigger dog inherently costs quite significantly yes. we see that in the vet, vet, veterinary field right yeah absolutely i mean the cost of 
I mean, an antibiotic course or whatever it is can be four, five, six times, even more sometimes in a big, you know, big 50 kilo dog compared to a little chihuahua. Um, but yeah. I guess one thing that I also come across and hear people say is that when their dog does have problems at the vet clinic and, you know, there's that cost involved, there's sometimes a reluctance to pursue those avenues because they're like, oh, well, I, you know, he's just a rescue. He's had a good, good, you know, good life. So almost feeling that they don't, you know, owe the dog anything and and the dog's in, in their debt, which makes me a little bit sad because, well, a lot sad in some cases because, you know, you've rescued this dog in inverted commas, but it may well be that, you know, they could have gone to another home with with more resources if you really are not in a financial position to have a dog and look after a dog, especially um, a big dog. So I think that financial consideration is 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 really important. Yeah, like there's, you know, numerous ways you can go about it, but some people will just, you know, allocate money monthly toward their dog that's going into a bit of a savings account, or you could build up an emergency fund before you get your dog. Like I have an emergency fund for my family and included in that is if my dogs ever need surgery that, you know, surgery of any kind can really go upwards from, you know, a thousand to $3,000 and up, you know, like a TPLO these days, I'm not even sure what, what that costs, like five to eight grand, maybe. Yeah. yeah things can go, <laughs> yeah. yeah, things can get pretty, yeah. pretty expensive. And that's not to say that you need to, you know, I'm also a big believer on the flip side is that I don't believe that everybody has to be able to afford the top level care to have a dog in their life. Cause I think exactly. that's then creating a situation where actually we're expecting people to provide more for their dog's healthcare than actually they're sometimes getting themselves. <laughs> yeah. And I think that would be wrong. And also dogs have a huge benefit to our lives as well. So to say, yes, if you're, you know, only if you've won the lottery, you can afford to have a dog would be, yeah. you know, r- ridiculous, but I guess yeah. it can, you can factor that into decision-making when it comes to, yes. should you get a, a Labrador or a, you know, a small terrier, because you could provide potentially a lot more care to a smaller dog. And, you know, they're, they're equally cool characters and, you know, all, all that kind of thing is, yeah, and, um, you know, the, that cost, like it's, again, it's something that you can just think about ahead of time and have, have the ability to, to prepare if you want. So maybe, you know, you hold off a little longer so they have a little bit of savings for unforeseen vet costs. And, and that allows you to still make decisions, right. Or, or if you want to be able to provide that ultimate care, you know, getting pet insurance, because yeah. that can be a, a wonderful thing. And it gives so many people relief when it comes to, uh, you know, any accidents or illness that crop up with their, with their new dog. Yeah. Is there, um, I mean, I'm sure that rescue centers aren't going into people's finances in a deep level to, but to, as a screening, but is there some kind of screening that people need to be aware of? Because I certainly hear, and I've heard stories of, you know, vets and, and nurses and techs going, you know, wanting a dog or, or a cat and, and actually being turned down because their lifestyle didn't feel, wasn't felt to fit in with, with having those in their life. Um, is there screening that people need to be aware of and maybe changes that they might you know, that they might be able to make that are quite easy and will increase their success in actually being accepted to adopt a dog? Yeah. So, I mean, certainly there's screening and that's just different across the board for every dog rescue. It's not regulated. Right. But, um, 
for some, some rescues, some of the ways they kind of screen people out is by requiring them to do certain things. So they might require you to get pet insurance because that's something they want you to uphold, or they might require you to get training because again, that's something that they, they feel is um, a non-negotiable for getting a rescue dog. But then, you know, there is, there's house tours that happen, right? And that might be a place where some people uh, they decipher you're not you're not fit for for their rescue or for their dogs, and that can be hard because I certainly believe that a dog rescue dog should be accessible to everyone who is deserving of it, right? And I don't think your status or um, you know whether you own or rent <laughs> should be something that deciphers that. And so uh, through the pandemic, I felt like that was a frustration for, for me with clients is that there were, um, there's such an abundance of people applying for dogs that it made it that much easier to filter people out, but it felt like, you know, certain sectors (laughs) were being filtered out, right. People who rented just like to kind of, uh, take out, something that, you know, could be unforeseen, there could be unforeseen circumstances surrounding, you know, who your landlord is and all that. But again, I just felt like that, that was unnecessary, but there are house tours that are done. So certainly I think, you know, they're always looking for people who have well-kept houses. So if you're a bit of a pack rat, then (laughs) you might want to curb that habit or do your best to adjust that because they're going to look at that as adjusting your your dog's quality of life in their home, right? That's what they're, they're really focused on. What is this dog's quality of life going to be with you? And uh, again, if you don't have a fenced in backyard and your, your backyard's maybe not well-kept, you have lots of dangerous materials around, that's going to be a concern for them. Mm -hmm. So those are certainly things you can adjust, but in terms like other than, you know, whether you rent or you own a house, I think for the most part, uh, that's not, you can look past certain rescues who are, uh, you know, filtering you out for that purpose. So if your application's not getting in with a certain rescue, look elsewhere and there'll always be another dog worth applying for, but some rescues are just not going to be interested in your application and you got to get over that. Don't wait around for your application to get a response because you're just missing out on some great dogs in the meantime. Uh, You might never get a response or you might eventually. So, you know, keep that information available to you, who you applied for and all. Um, But but it's certainly not worth waiting around for. There are enough rescues out there. You will find another dog. Just look elsewhere. So where can people look because it might be they're only aware of their local rescue or they're just actually thinking I'd like a dog but I don't I, I really don't know where to go so how how can people yeah. go about finding a, a rescue and looking at their dogs and and starting the whole process then so in this United States and Canada I know that pet finder is the thing here have do you guys have that in New Zealand no I mean we're very we don't have a big I guess shelter population we'd be looking at the SPCA and there's various very much more regional small small rescues that would be a I guess a Facebook a Facebook search exactly so like Social media and uh, Google are going to be your best friend in that scenario. So um, we have this wonderful database called Pet Finder in in North America. And that is, it's basically a place where all the rescues will 
upload adoption profiles. So it kind of houses most things. Obviously, not everyone is on there, but houses most animals there and then allows you to filter through them. So it's it's again this instantaneous way of being able to find dogs that um you know suit your needs or are incompatible with you but i personally with my clients i created my own excel spreadsheet that's got over 70 local rescues or rescues within my region uh so you know think about your radius and how willing how far you're willing to drive to get a dog and you know map that out for yourself and then uh you know usually i would think that would be at least maximum or minimum of three hours, depends how gung-ho you are about this. And then, you know, find on Google Maps, all the rescues within that area, whether that includes SPCAs or shelters, humane societies, but also uh, dog rescues that are going to have their dogs fostered. Um, And then, you know, have a little list of that follow them on Facebook, make sure they're your favorite so that their posts are going to show up in your feed. But I mean, I generally would recommend trying not to just wait till it shows up in your feed and to actively be checking their website. If you're really serious about getting a rescue dog, then you want to be one of the first people to find uh, the dog as it's put up. So checking a few times a week and making a consistent habit of that. Uh, And, you know, you can even find local rescues. If you can't find them on Google, you can find them through Facebook. Most of them will have Facebook pages. And, And then from there, you know, watching where they post their pets, most of them will be on their website first. And occasionally some of them will be on their Facebook first. So following them that way and and just make a job of it, right? Make it consistent, something you do at your lunch hour so that uh, you're on top of it and and you're going to beat other people to the application. Because I think right now with more dogs out there, um, you'll be more likely to be the first applicant that way and not like just one in a slew of a hundred or something. And, and they might have been waiting for a little while to get an applicant. So they're going to be maybe a bit more prompt in following up with you. So it's a benefit to not just be waiting till that post is very popular and ends up on your feed on Facebook. Yeah. yeah. And being a slave to the the algorithm uh, is, yeah. um, is there like an alert that people can set up on the, the pet finder or do, do rescues and shelters, do they, have a wait list where they actively contact people or is that just too much to ask because there's so you know there's there's so many dogs and the throughput <laughs> is pretty quick right well um on face or on pet finder that is you can yeah put in your information regarding kind of what you're looking for and they'll send you email updates uh i haven't found that to be effective. If I've tried to use that tool, I haven't been getting the yeah. updates. I don't know why. So I, I don't know how well that works for yeah. everyone else. Yeah. But I do know that if you, um, in terms of, you know, having, sorry, just lost what you were saying there about the. So just um, whether that, whether the, um, there's a wait list that you can kind of get people oh, yes, that you yes. sign up for and, and whether they'll actually contact you, because I guess, you know, when they've got so many dogs coming through and actually some of them might only be staying for, you know, a short period of time, is that realistic to expect them to actually be proactive? Yes. And what we call that is like a, a general application or a uh, becoming a pre-approved adopter. So uh, there will be certain rescues that do do that. So some rescues will require you put in for you to put in an application every time you were interested in a dog from their rescue. 
And some will say, as you're applying for a specific dog, you know, do you want us to keep this on hand? And if so, you know, check this. And then we basically keep you in a filing system. Uh, A lot of those rescues often tell me that they still want you to keep an eye out in case something comes up. But in general, they are siphoning through those uh, or filtering through those applications first when they have new intakes. So to see if there's anyone that's compatible. So uh, they do do a little bit of work, but knowing them, they, I mean, they are run by volunteers. So you can imagine there's more work than they have people for all the time. So that's where I'd be kind of like, you know, stay on top of it, but it is worthwhile to find the rescues that have those general applications or some of them have yeah, one that will they'll just say, you know, when you when you have to fill this out and it says what dog are you interested in, you just put general application or something. And that's gonna keep you in their in their system so that if they have anything that's compatible, they'll reach out. So it's it's a bit of like a game there. You you hope that they are as um they're paying attention to your profile or to your uh, application, but it's it's not necessarily yeah. a promise. Don't use it as don't rely on it to replace the yeah, work yeah. that you Still need to keep, do. Still keep at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when so if we're thinking now, then you know we've been through this process and we've you know been accepted. We found the right dog for for us, and and we've brought them home. Uh, what are maybe some of the biggest challenges, or maybe the top tips that you have for? for helping them to settle, to integrate into family life so that they're not a a rebound and end up back in in that shelter situation? Sure. So I think one is understanding that they're going to need to decompress. So, you know, when you're even just if you move yourself and you go from one place to another, man, it's a lot of change. Like maybe the city's different, uh, you know, different noises in your apartment or uh, different environment when you go outside, like all those things change, different people. And uh, that's exactly the same for a dog, right? So they can be overwhelmed. They might not be quite themselves right off the hop. So just basically not trying to expose them to too many things right away. You might want to just bring over all the relatives and have everyone come see your new dog. But I really would caution you to avoid doing that because it can be overwhelming and you want to slowly figure out your dog. And you can't really do that when you're exposing them to a lot of new things. It's hard to do that safely um, when you're, you're yourself trying to understand this new being in your house. So take it slow, uh, try to uh, really manage things. So if you are exposing them to new things, like make it easier for them by, you know, just one person at a time coming to the house and, and, you know, setting up proper introductions. So not letting um, that person decide how they're going to meet your dog and letting your dog decide whether they're even interested in sniffing that person, right? Just keep things low key for the dog for the first, you know, few weeks, even to a month. And it doesn't mean you you're not training them or teaching them things at this time. It just means that you're trying to reduce the triggers that could possibly be triggers for them, like new people and, uh, you know, new sights, new sounds, try to just reduce the noise overall so that they're allowed to learn who they are in this new environment. And they also learn that you're their leader and to trust you. So um, that'll be really Crucial is just how you are 
teaching them or caring for them in that time. So I think one thing that people often do will is they'll spoil their dog when they come home. So they'll go, oh, you you can sleep on the couch and you can sleep on the bed and you can cuddle with me the whole day if you want. Or, um, you know, giving them treats for not doing anything all the time, right? Those are little ways that you're going to set up success in terms of your relationship. And you're teaching that dog, basically, who's boss by, you know, when you let them hang out on the couch all day, and then you finally say, hey, okay, now you need to go to your bed, right? Like, they, they're confused by that. Why are the rules different all of a sudden? So understanding that uh, these freedoms don't necessarily need to be given right away off the hop. And they should be something that you kind of hold back. And as you're seeing good behavior from your dog, you can use those things. But uh, not every dog uh, should be allowed all the freedoms right when you get home. That's that's something that should grow with time. Yeah. And then lastly, I would say like setting up a really good routine. So this new dog to you, um, they they don't know what your lifestyle's like. And so if you don't give them some basics uh, or predictability, they can become confused. They need to know when you're going to let them out uh, for their bathroom breaks every day. Keep it consistent. Like you get out 8 a.m., 12 p.m., and then 6 p.m., and then 10 p.m. Like try and keep it consistent so that you're going to set them up for success for not having accidents in the house because they know that that time is coming up and and they'll make it. Whereas if things are loosey goosey and, you know, even their meals are different times or, or their, their bathroom breaks or their walks, even that just, it adds stress to their life. Dogs like predictability. And it also, you know, again, is likely to cause them to have accidents, which are going to frustrate you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, setting them up for success is just the huge, the huge mantra, isn't it? And and baby steps and and all that kind of thing. So Bethany, this has been a fantastic conversation. And I think people can see, you know, how much there is actually involved with, I guess, with bringing any dog into your house, but the considerations with, uh, adopting a dog are, you know, additional to those, uh, where can people go to find out more about, you know, the fab- fabulous work that, that you do and more information about this process so that it can be a, a successful one for everyone involved? Yeah. Um, currently, they can go to uh, www.podoptionguide.com. And so that's my website. Uh, but I... I host a member, an online membership to help people uh, or families adopt their dream rescue dog and to help them with those integration basics. And uh, that can be found on there as well. So that's called the Podoption Guide Membership Experience. And as well as I, ha- I have my own podcast called the Podoption Guide Podcast. And uh, so I'm always sharing great free tips about uh, the entire adoption process from, you know, dreaming, applying, searching to adopting and integrating. So that's uh, probably the best place to find me. Fantastic. And we're about to have a chat for your podcast as well. So I'll leave links to that in the in the show notes. So yeah, you can click directly in and listen to what I have to say about some of the things that we've spoken about as well today. So Bethany, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat. Thank you. That was That was wonderful helping your pet live the happy, healthy life they deserve.
So I hope that conversation gave you some food for thought. If you want to dive deeper into some stories about actually the difference that animals can make in our lives and actually the power of rescuing an animal, adopting a dog or a cat and bringing them into your family, then you can check out episode number 94, which was with the wonderful Carol Novello, where we discussed exactly that. The f- we, we could have talked a little bit more about the size of the shelter population and actually the the terrible fate that awaits so many of these dogs but also we talk about how bringing one of these dogs and cats who are in so need of a loving home into our lives can actually help do as much good for us as it does for them for now though that's it for this episode of the call the vet show make sure you hit that follow or subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to this on if you haven't already to make sure that you don't miss out on all of my future content and until then i'm veterinarian dr alex this is the call the vet show because they're family that's it for this episode of the call the vet show be sure to visit callthevet.org to join the conversation access the show notes and discover our fantastic bonus content we'll see you next time